Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday on South podcast. I am Connor Guerra. Will, I can no longer blame Mike Bobo if Georgia doesn't win a national championship. I can instead blame the changing of Uggas. Of course. Yeah, I feel like, you know, that's the real sign of the dynasty dying is that, you know, you're retiring a bulldog, right? That's when you know you don't want the losses to count against the legendary bulldog. You got to cut that record off. I understand. Yeah, that's, that's that's a fair point. I was looking at it more so of who does Georgia think it is? You don't replace Uggas in the midst of, of a dynasty. I, I look like at a that. Pitcher. That Uggas hot right now. You got to leave that Uggas. <laughs> yeah, Uggas got a perfect game through eight. What are, what are we doing here? We don't need to see the closer. We want to see history here. We want to see Ugga be responsible for the first three-peat since Ed Widseth, 1936, Minnesota. Get that dog out there. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, hope Ugga 10 is doing well. Hope it gets to live a great life. Ugga 11, I'm sure, is going to be great. Collaring ceremony coming this Saturday, G-Day. Uh, it's going to be appointment viewing. I'm sure a lot of a lot of people are going to be very dialed into the differences between the two pups. Mm-hmm. So um, I think we can now officially say no longer would Kirby Smart's crowning achievement be winning a national championship, repeating as a national champ after having to replace 15 players from the NFL draft. It would instead be winning a national championship with a new Uga. Right. You know, big, it's not shoes, big. Big Pete's to fill, big toe beans. Mm, I don't know what yeah. dogs have, but uh, yeah, another sure. related pet news: Walter lost a pound. I took him to the vet yesterday. He's now sixteen pounds, so I'm very proud of him. How about that? Big day yeah. for pets. Really big, big day, for, day pets. for pets. Walter will probably get a standing O, just like just like Argo will on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Good for Walter. That's that's impressive. Definitely would get a bigger ovation than Bevo. That much I know. It's stupid steer. I'm gonna hackle that thing. I will. Yeah. I, I, I'm not gonna look when Texas comes to the SEC. I'm. I'm not going to hide my feelings. I don't think that they should expect me to just all of a sudden be like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm in support of Bebo. No, no, no. That's not how any of this works. Okay. Yeah, listen, I, I can get on that. You know, my grandpa was a butcher in Louisiana. So when I see a cow, I just see dinner. Whoa. All right. I wasn't <laughs> that far, but yeah. Okay. All right. I get what you're saying. Um, all right. Plan for today. My guy, David Nuno of Texas is going to join us in a bit. We're going to talk a bunch of A&M stuff, Jimbo, Petrino. Uh, we, we dig into all of it. We're also doing an SEC spring game edition of Bold and Brash because we've got eh, basically half the league in action on Saturday, and then we'll close with some lad of the week. But first, a question, Will. Should I give Alabama the yummy rat poison? Hmm. You know, it's it's difficult. It's difficult, right? Because they seem to zag every time you want to zig. Which specific rat poison are we talking today? I'm glad you asked. I could go a, a lot of different ways with that question. You you really could. And out of context, that sounds pretty weird. But um, in the college football context, I could go with what my buddy Mike Griffith said on Feinbaum the other day about how Kirby Smart is a better coach than Nick Saban, and it's not even close. They had me on to respond to that, which I was like, all right, what are, what are, we, what are we doing here? And Whenever I, someone says it's not even close, it's always close. You ha- When you have to say it's not even close, you're lying. Josh Pate, Rosillo, they've been all over that for a while. If you're saying it's not even close, you're, you're telling me that it's close. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually agree with with Mike that the guy who repeats has to be considered the best coach in the sport, even if he isn't the most accomplished. That's still Nick Saban. That's always going to be Nick Saban. I still would at least say it's close. I'm still having to think about it if we're doing a breakdown. But that's not the yummy rat poison that I'm going to offer up today. We're not doing that. In fact, I actually told I, I told Paul, like if you're giving me an over-under of – 0.5 Saban national titles 
I'll take the over. I think that he still has one more in him before he fades off into the sunset and does whatever he's going to do. The yummy rat poison that I'm referring to is in the SEC preseason poll. For the last seven years, Alabama has been picked to win both the West and the SEC. Four times in that stretch, it did indeed win the West and the SEC. Okay, The last time that Bama wasn't picked to win the SEC was 2015. 2015. It's weird because Bama was picked to win the West, but another West team was picked to win the conference, which is just strange. We got way too cute, way too cute as a consuming public. Do you who remember that? who that was? How <laughs> that, that that's that's whooping me. 2015 and another West team. I mean, it certainly wasn't LSU because they were bad. Uh, was it Auburn? Well, yes, it was, Will. Yes, it was, Auburn. And I wouldn't let being bad disqualify you from being picked to win the West. <laughs> yeah. Auburn had all this, but and I, and I remember this too, because this was just when I was when I was getting to our company. I, I showed my first day of work, August 1st, 2015. And there was all this buzz with Jeremy Johnson, despite I was like, about to say Jeremy Johnson. I don't remember exactly what that was. We'll get him on the pot eventually. That, that that's one that I would love to be able to have on. I I've long considered trying to do like a quarterback series of guys who we got way too excited about. And Jeremy Johnson would be kind of a white whale of that group. He really would. I mean, but the buzz was about Jeremy Johnson, the second coming of Cam Newton, just another reminder of why we shouldn't compare people to Cam Newton ever. Um, And also Will Muschamp, the addition of Will Muschamp, because after he got fired at Florida, he's going to go to Auburn and you're feeling like, okay, they have all the pieces in place, which is strange though, because they lost four or five down the stretch. They were the ultimate good vibes team, even though they didn't follow the ultimate good vibes formula that we've come to know and love. I had uh, this realization. I remember it was, yeah, like week two. I want to say, I think it was week two, the Jacksonville state game. Mm-hmm. Oh man, it was bad. It was really bad. If your team can barely beat Jacksonville state, you're probably not going to win the sec. Just that that's a dead giveaway. No spoilers, but you're not winning the conference. You're not winning the toughest conference in college football. And I remember being in the old SDS offices and asking my coworkers, like, so this is this is your SEC champ right here? Like this the conference <laughs> is gonna be terrible this year if this is the 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 gold standard. I had another coworker who remains nameless. It wasn't Brad Crawford, definitely wasn't Brad Crawford. I promise I'm, I'm it, like really was not Brad. Uh, but another coworker picked Mississippi State to win the SEC that year. It wasn't me. And even when I picked Mississippi State to go ten and two, I was like, nope, they're not winning the they're not winning the West. Bama's still going to win the West, so I wasn't going crazy like that. But preseason predictions, they're weird. They're all over the place. I bring this up because that was when it felt like there was this Bama fatigue, and because of how wild the previous season felt in 2014, and even with like Bama losing to Ohio State, Alabama going two years without a national championship appearance, there was this feeling of maybe, maybe we need to mix it up. Maybe we need to kind of mm-hmm. change our thinking. Then each year after that, we in the media just always defaulted to Bama because it was either Bama coming off of a national championship or it was coming off of a close, but no cigar season like 2021. And we all just assumed that the revenge tour was about to, 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 to kick off. And that was going to be how we talked about Alabama in a few months. So just pick them to win the, the West, pick them to win the SEC, and don't really think twice about it. There's this weird thing about not picking Bama. 
before you continue, I gotta, I, I gotta, do you know where Jeremy Johnson is right now? Before I forget this, USFL. Oh, buddy, he is in the <clears throat> Cadillos de Chihuahua in the Ooh. Liga de Football Americano Profesional in Mexico. All right, you know what? Here, here's what I'll say about that. If you can play a sport for a living, if if you can write on your tax on your tax return, professional athlete, go do it. Yes, go do it. We'll yes. never hate on anybody, anybody who's capable of doing that. Mm -hmm. And I applaud him. Do that yes. as long as you are physically able to. But yeah, we got way too excited. Just we... wanted to save everyone at home at Google. Get back to what you were saying. <laughs> we got way too excited with this one. I wonder, do you think Jeremy Johnson speaks fluent fluent Spanish? Oh man, that's actually a good one. I wonder if it's like in pit in baseball where you have like a Japanese pitcher and they have a translator. Like, I wonder if there's like a translator for Jeremy Johnson like to speak yeah. to the media. That would be fire. Don't hear a lot of people going through that pipeline. I hope the best for Jeremy Johnson. I truly do. I hope that guy lives an awesome life. Um, so the, the weird thing about not picking Bama, you're not always going to be right about picking Bama, but being wrong after not picking Bama makes you feel really, really dumb. I did that in 2021 by picking Georgia, a.k.a. the team who won the national championship. But I was technically wrong because Bama still won the SEC championship. And yeah. I was thinking in early December of that year in 2021, why did I overthink that? Why, why, why did I convince myself that this was the year to go against the grain and to not pick Bama? Um, that was actually the minority opinion, though. I, Bama still was the pick to win the SEC that year. Same thing with 2019 when I picked Georgia to beat Bama in the SEC championship. I was in the minority by picking against Bama. And then, of course, 2019 LSU happened, and we were basically all wrong with our picks. But think about this, Will. <laughs> For 10 consecutive years, Alabama has been picked to win the West. 10 years of being picked to win the division. We consider 2008 to be the starting point of the, the Alabama run, which is now 15 years deep. That year, Bama was picked to finish third in the West. Again, it's year two of the Saban era. You kind of know how this works. You know the, the way that this dynasty all unfolded. But you're picked to finish third in the West, and then obviously Bama goes on to to, to win the division, lose to Florida in the SEC championship. After that year, though, the only other instance in which Bama wasn't the preseason West pick was 2012. 2012, a.k.a. the year that Bama won its third title in, fourth year, in four years. <laughs> LSU was the pick that year because coming off of 2011, there was the, this revenge narrative. Some felt like LSU got kind of a raw deal by having to face Bama in the national championship. And, oh, no, LSU is going to be – they were the better team. And they they just – you know, they shouldn't have had to play Bama in the championship. So just like that, we're going to pencil in LSU to be the 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 West champ this year and pretend like the, the national championship was just kind of an anomaly. So now with LSU coming off of a West title, year one of the Brian Kelly era, the question is worth asking. Bama is going to be picked to win the West, or is it going to be LSU? It's going to be close. It's I, I do think it's going to be at least close. If we're being honest, though, if we're being 100% honest here, Bama has more personnel questions than LSU. We're assuming that both coordinators for Alabama are going to be upgrades, and Bama is just going to automatically recover from losing two players who are probably among the five best in program history, pretty much unquestioned in my opinion at least i think they should be i'd put them i'd put bryce young and will and will anderson on any mount rushmore of bama players i i would i, I, I don't know this. man 
Because I mean, neither of them are, neither of them are champions, right? No, that's not true. Twenty twenty, Will Anderson was ridiculous that year. No, you're awesome right. You're right. Freshman. You're right. Yeah, he was a true freshman. Yeah, so I guess he gets one. But like, I feel like at Bama, you gotta have like two rings to be in that conference. Just my opinion. But so AJ McCarron's a better quarterback than Bryce Young. I'm no. not saying he's a better quarterback. I wouldn't put him there either. I'm just saying for the Mount Rushmore. You know, what I'm saying I don't know. I'm just I, that's a lofty. Bama's Mount Rushmore is pretty crowded. So I'm saying. I think, those, and I, I would think those two are, are are worthy because of of what they've what they've done as starters. But I, again, like yeah, there is some debate there. But unquestionably, they're two huge pieces of what they have been, and they they're great. I'm not dumping on them. I'm more respecting Bama's history, if anything. That's sure. not. I mean, yeah. Okay. On, on the flip side, LSU. We know they lost four games last year, and that game this year is in Tuscaloosa. I get that LSU has technically been better in Tuscaloosa <laughs> than it's been at home against Bama, which that gets lost in the shuffle of that rivalry. But the optics are still going to favor Bama with that. So will LSU be the West pick? Feels possible. Also because, uh, like we talked about with 2015, two years without Bama winning winning a national title, suddenly kind of makes us all go, hey, maybe they've lost their fastball. Maybe they have, maybe they haven't. We don't know. If LSU is the pick, we can at least default to, hey, LSU won the division last year. They had fewer questions coming back. If you're picking Bama, it's more so just, you're just trusting Saban. You're trusting Saban to figure it out because, darn it, that's exactly what the guy always does. But if LSU is the pick, everyone's going to say, boom, there's the yummy rat poison that Bama wanted. So that's there. There's another world in which Bama can get yummy rat poison and I've been bearing the lead for by, by not bringing this up yet. Two-time defending national champ should probably be picked to win the SEC. You know, some, <laughs> some would think, yeah. <laughs> Georgia's been to three national championships, one, two during this seven-year stretch of Bama as the default pick to win the league. And when was the last time that Georgia was picked to win the SEC? 2004. 2004? 2004. Been almost two decades. Oh, Think man. about that. This is the ultimate test of the default Bama media pick that has really developed over the course of the last like seven years after everyone felt so stupid for the Auburn thing in 2015. Think about this. Georgia just repeated as national champs after losing 15 players in the NFL draft. It beat 12 AP top 25 teams in the last two years. It hasn't lost a regular season game since the first week of November 2020. And we're still sitting here like, but should we really pick them to beat Bama for the SEC title? And I think it's the fear of the alternative. The alternative is that Bama gets the yummy rat poison. I brought up the 2008 season where Bama was picked to finish third in the West. They win the West, but then they lose to Tebow's Gators in the SEC championship. After that, there have only been three instances in which Bama was either picked to not win the West or to not win the SEC. 2009, picked to win the West, but Tebow returning made Florida the, the pick to win the SEC that year. 2012, picked to finish second in the West because of the LSU Revenge Tour. And then 2015, of course, picked to win the West, but not the SEC because too many media members got cute with Auburn. All three of those years, what happened, Will? Bama won. Bama won the whole freaking thing. Won yeah. the SEC, won a national championship. That's why we talk about the yummy rat poison. Should I give the yummy rat poison to Alabama? Should I get that ballot in July and just be like, well, 
I guess I'm going to risk feeling really stupid because this is the time when Bama truly thrives and actually not when it's the preseason AP number one team in the country, which again, that they've only won a national championship once in those seasons that happened in 2017 when they couldn't even win the division. That's only happened in college football once in the last 18 seasons. Okay. Because if I pick LSU to win the division, Bama does, I get dunked on. Or if I pick Georgia to win the SEC because, hey, the two-time defending national champs are typically picked to win their own conference the following year. Am I going to be feeding the narrative that Bama wants? Also, remember that nobody shares their picks when it's Bama because at this point, it's boring and in a weird way. and almost makes you look like you're lazy for basically not thinking outside of the box and instead defaulting to it every single year. My mom just picks Bama every year. And he doesn't care. He just says, call me boring. I don't care. I'd rather not overthink it and feel like an idiot. He'll probably do that as long as Saban is on the sideline. And there's part of me that just wants to say, you know what? Maybe I should just do that at this point. Maybe I should just do that and just avoid the the opposite, like whatever sort of against the grain opinion that just blows up in my face. Maybe I should just totally go in that direction and just be a one team guy each and every single year. And for what it's worth, I'm not pretending like how I pick the SEC is going to directly impact on-field performance when hundreds of people vote on this thing. But at the same time, <laughs> the data suggests that when we doubt Bama, the second that happens, we're all left feeling really dumb for having that thought enter our brains at any point. We're really bad at this in the media, but it's not like when these picks come out, we're all going rogue. You know, we tend to fall kind of with the consensus. The Auburn thing was probably the only example I can think of in recent memory where it's like, whoa, like what? Mm, maybe, maybe that's a little too much. Maybe, maybe we sip too much Auburn Kool-Aid. Maybe we pump the brakes a little bit. The numbers are bad though. The numbers are really bad. I mean, the only team worse for the expectations at LSU is Auburn, right? But every time that they are good, it's completely by accident. Then yep. we expect them to go be good. We get Jeremy Johnson or Sean White or like Silverman. It's just like, oh, they got Stidham. They should do something. I no. did a breakdown of like the preseason AP top 25 teams who have fared worst when they've been like in the top 15 or something. I did a breakdown of that a few years ago. I'd have to pull those tweets up, but I did a bunch of teams and Auburn was pretty bad. Auburn was pretty bad. You're right. The second you're 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 telling yourself, man, look out. Mm. Usually, the thing about the Auburn run is it just catches you. You don't know where it's going to come from. But once you're in it, you just got it's like the final four run too. It's like oh, we're in here, and like that one obviously ended unluckily, which usually isn't how it goes. But it's like yeah, like you can't predict it. But once you're in it, you just got to ride it. It's like being in a blackjack table. (laughs) Yeah. Although you would probably see the same thing about 2017, and 2017. The way that ended, like if you were, if you watched the Iron Bowl that year and said, Mm -hmm. oh God, it's happening. Auburn is doing this again. And then you just say, Auburn's just about to win a national championship. They're going to be the first two loss team to make the playoff. And this is when they really go off. And then you see them in the SEC championship, wherein Kerryon Johnson wasn't at 100%. That probably made a difference, but it was also probably not at 100% because of what he had to do in order to beat Alabama. But you get what I'm saying. It's like some of these things feel so obvious and they don't end up being that obvious. Yeah, I think the health thing is a big... I mean, if you could just give Carry on Johnson like a health potion, think about how differently that (laughs) that year ends for Auburn probably. Love it. Yeah, Uh, let's let's do that. I I might have to go back through history and find five examples of giving health potion. (laughs) Health potion game. (laughs) Just just for a game. I don't need to do it for an entire career. Just just for a game and see how how it turns out. Um, So from 1992 to 2015, 
media only got the preseason SEC champ right five out of 24 times. That's bad, Will. That's bad, man. We're at nine of 31 now because we just picked Bama. Just keep picking Bama. It seems really easy. I feel like that's a lot of the take. You got to get creative now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so like, do we just like, does everybody just kind of keep doing that? And when we say we, I only had a ballot for the last five years. I'm not saying I've been a part of What's your record? Let's talk about that. Hey, that's a good question. I think in terms of picking the SEC champ, I think I'm two and three. Mm -hmm. I want to say two and three. Yeah. And, Definitely got it wrong. Yeah, because got it right in 2020. I think. Uh, did I get it right in 2020? I might be one in four. There's a chance <laughs> I'm one in four and I'm part of the problem. I'm the problem. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. It's me. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, but 29% of the time we got it right. So I feel like this year we'll probably get it wrong because there's a good chance that we're going to see three SEC teams start off in the top five. And who knows? Maybe somebody outside of that group of LSU, Georgia, and Bama is going to just have one of these years and win the SEC, and we're all going to be left wondering, how, wait, what? How, how, how did that happen? Because we're talking about something that hasn't happened in a decade, right? right? Those three teams, all the SEC championships of, yeah, each year Auburn was the last one to, yeah, 2013 was the last one that wasn't one of those three teams right there. Um, this is presumably the last year that we'll have a format like this with picking two division winners and a champ. And I know I'm getting out ahead of this, and this isn't going to be something that we, that a lot of people are really focused on until July. But I think this is worth getting out ahead of because it's going to fuel some of the, the conversation heading into the vote. But um, starting next year, it'll be here are your 16 teams. Pick the two who are going to make it to Atlanta. Pick the team who's going to win. And it's probably still going to be Bama and Georgia. I mean, for the foreseeable future. Like, why would it not be Bama and Georgia? Um but this is the last year of that format and probably the last chance that all of us end up feeling really stupid or we just get ripped because we're really boring. Damned if you do, damned if you don't, really. Yeah, I, and I'm, I'm with you, man, as far as, you know, looking dumb. Because when you, you pick Bama and you are right, or it's picking Bama has no risk whatsoever to it. Because if you're wrong, it's like, oh, how could I have predicted this, you know, LSU season? How could I have predicted this Auburn season? How could I have predicted this? But then if you you know, try to zag and Bama does their typical zig and just beats everybody's breaks off. And you're sitting there like, ah. and like, you know, that's kind of what Bama did in like the, the 15, 16 era where their defense was so nasty. And it was like, Oh gosh. And so, yeah, I mean, so going back to your previous question, it's like, it, it's, it would take a lot of guts to pick an LSU this year. I think that I feel my friend Peyton driving to my house right now as he reads this, because as you know, I got to be objective though. It's like, it's, I think that LSU doesn't do great with expectations. I mean, you just talked about it. And I'm so glad, you know, piecing together the shelter dog mentality that I as an LSU ha fan have with Bama, where it's like, oh, you finally won. And well, not finally, it was two straight in 2011 the first time because they won in 2010. Right. Okay. They had close games. You know what I'm saying? So it was like, oh, I remember my only fine bomb call was about like, are we sure that Nick Saban, the king of college football, LSU has two straight wins against Wait, wait, the, the, wait, wait, wait. You called in a fine bomb? And, yeah, that was my only glasses. fine bomb call. Yeah. It's, it'll never, it, it'll never beat my mom's that I've talked about. But I was like, hey, you know, are we sure that the torch has been past you know lsu has two straight wins against saban like whatever and so like that was you know go going into that championship game i remember seeing that championship game and you know becoming a little bit of an adult realizing what pain as a sports fan truly meant and going that into it. that next season i i was not like okay we'll get him this time i was like i really hope that team stubs its toe i hope we just don't i hope the bus gets lost on the way i hope you don't have to play them you know because because i realized in 2011 
how bad that team is angry. And of course, you know, when you think about the media having amnesia and being picking LSU in 2012, it's like, yeah, I mean, obviously we know what's going to happen. Or like we know like hindsight that they went back to back. And I could see kind of doing the thing that we do with Georgia. It's like, where's the loss? Maybe it's LSU. Um, but you know, that that so to cycle it all the way back around, it's like I feel like I'm a little bit in a similar situation here where it's like, oh, like, okay, LSU won at home and this crazy Brian Kelly play. Um, you know, that that's kind of my like fan, you know, scariness. And and obviously you got your brassness in there too. But you know, when you look at these two rosters, it's like you know, the question marks that LSU had, I feel like got addressed through the transfer portal, talking about losing guys like Tolan, some of the linebackers, some of the pass rushers, obviously uh, getting Mason Smith back should be good. Uh, and then bringing in those three just dynamite corners, I think it's going to be great. Um, and so we'll just see, you know, the defense is going to be a little bit of a, of a island of misfit toys, but it was last year. And I think this year there might actually be some continuity. Um, and But the big thing, obviously, is the quarterback situation, the ability to bring back both quarterbacks, uh, lose Walker Howard. I don't know. Um, but like, but you know what I'm saying? With Alabama, it's like, that's the X factor, right? It's like, well, you know, you have two new coordinators. You have a quarterback who we're not totally, I mean, probably won't be Milrow. You know, we're, we're feeling our, our lad tie probably a little bit. You're still on that boat, right? I'm still on that boat. I wouldn't rule anything out just yet. I, I, if, if, if I'm betting on it today, yes, Ty Simpson would, would be the guy. Right. Um, yeah. And I mean, it, it, it's just, you know, you could see it go, you know, a bunch of different ways. I mean, the, the Golden Flake A-Day game is going to be their second hardest out of conference schedule. Um, you have Texas, who is perpetually a 6-6 six and six team. So they're probably going to roll into that game. You know what I'm saying? They're probably going to look really good at the beginning of the year. They have South Florida, you know, powerhouse, um, as we know. Um, so they have like some, so, you know, can't sleep on Middle Tennessee State because they did beat Miami last year. So that probably is their second hardest out of conference Chattanooga being the other. Um, so point being, like, they're going to roll through probably, I mean, you talk about the two Mississippis, who I think have <laughs> combined for two wins the entire time that Saban's been there. Uh, and, and so, like, I'm kind of looking at the schedule, and it's like, it's going to be interesting, right? Because it's like, Tennessee yeah, non-conference and, doesn't matter, though. Non-conference doesn't matter. In terms I know. Of I'm just dumping on Bamba because I can right now. In this specific moment, I can. I'm going to go back to my fear in a second. I was getting there. Okay. So, <laughs> I know. I understand that being Chattanooga does not matter about the SEC. I, I know. But it's funny. Like, but I'm talking about where they're going to be. Like, I'm talking about, like, as the se- the flow of the season, they don't have that week one like LSU does. They don't have, like, a yeah, Florida week two State. Texas, though. I mean, the week the week two Texas game is, is, is the big headliner that – Many people will be will be talking about it, and also because of the the arch factors. So like they, they have that early season. Yeah, I mean they're playing Texas. Yeah, I I mean a Texas team <laughs> that they needed a last second field goal to beat last year. Right, that's why they fired their coordinators. Time. I know. I'm just saying like I, we're not going to be. I will not be fake news into believing Texas is any good playing Alabama. If we want to do that, that's fine. But I'm just saying. I'm telling you now. By the time we get to that game, Texas is going to have Mac Brown and Vince Young, and that's not how it's going to be. All right. So point being like. We're, we're going to get like that's I'm looking at their schedule now and kind of like how this could go. And what I'm saying is it's funny because three straight home games, Arkansas, Tennessee, LSU, two revenge games in a row. So they're going to need the rat poison because the Tennessee rage, I feel like it's really like that's where it's like, oh, we haven't beat these guys for like these guys have beat us for 15 years. So that might be a little bit of luck that LSU has in this schedule is that Tennessee is going to get the real beat down. And hopefully LSU can kind of sneak in there. But I don't know. Like I'm. I'm just kind of like I said, it's, 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 I'm a lot. My logical brain is saying that this is going to be a real, like, I could see it going either way because like I said, 
like that, and that's why I was looking at the schedule is they're going to have those, those games to kind of figure it out. So by the time they get into the meat of the SEC schedule, they're going to know who the quarterback is. They're going to have an offensive identity. You know what I'm saying? Like those games are later in the year. They always are. So I think, which is good. Like I'm not saying that in a negative way, but I think, it, I think it's going to be a really, really interesting season. Uh, and like, that's one thing that you keep hearing from people when they talk to Brian Kelly is like, it's so your thing about LSU winning the breakup is so funny and true because it's like, Brian Kelly and Coach O were complete. It's like, it's like the over. It's like, I was with the party boy. Now I'm with the accountant. It's like, when people would ask you about Coach O, it would be like, well, people would get asked about Coach O. Oh, he's so fun. He has so much energy. You know, it's great. Like, he's this football guy. When people ask about Brian Kelly, it's about organization. It's about processes. It's about all these like different like things that are not fun, but they're what he's good at. So hopefully, I said all of that to say, Hopefully, Brian Kelly can manage these expectations. Uh, I'm saying this out loud, and this is the guy who has probably done the worst with expectations. <laughs> uh, hopefully, Brian Kelly can manage these expectations better than previous LSU coaches have, because it's been rare that we've really gotten a wire-to-wire, like, competitive SEC West. It's not a random team. It's not like this team kind of crept up. Like, it's been a while that we've had, like, oh, these two teams are going to be there at the end of the year. So let me ask you this. We find out right after SEC media days, LSU is the pick to win the SEC West. Mm-hmm. I'm your reaction as an LSU fan. <laughs> what's what's tell me your reaction? I think I literally think as stupid as this is, I think that picking LSU, like LSU getting like the hype means that Bama will be LSU because I think that Saban is that good at that. I think that he's every time, not only when like it's not that they win when they don't get picked, it's that they embarrass the team that gets picked every time. And so I think that that is going to be enough to carry Nick Saban and say, look, no one believes in you. I think that if Alabama gets picked, like I said, LSU has a couple of things going for it. If they can, well, I'm identifying teams as it. I'm sounding like you now. <laughs> I think it's, 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 you know, it's, it's being, when they're singular, it's being able to use, you know, if we're just referring to the school name, that's the way that we do it. Yeah. I understand what you're doing. But it's stupid. I mean, does that sound stupid? Does that sound fanish to say that the pick actually kind of matters because Saban will have that extra bit of edge that he can put on his guys? That's my point. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like, yes. Yeah, man. Like, as much as I would love to say we make too big of a deal of the, of these things, I I would if if I saw Bama is, is picked to finish second in the West, I'd be like, oh my god, here we go again. I need I need to start mentally preparing for this. It's different to see Bama lose in an SEC championship or lose in a national championship. We we've we have that perspective. We now have several instances of of seeing that and it doesn't necessarily always translate into Bama comes back and wins it the next year. It's a, that's what people thought was going to happen in 2022. That didn't happen. But being in this spot where that's the name of the game in this day and age and as much as I am so sick of all things disrespect and all oh, this disrespect here, all oh, this disrespect there. And I get it. You know, the no one's that you got to create your own narrative. Like there is, there is a part of me that would 100% be like, if I saw that, I would immediately like, be like, okay, get whatever odds you can on Bama winning the SEC. Do it right now. Is Georgia going to win three national championships and not be picked to win the SEC once? Is that, is that on the table? Is that crazy to think that that could happen? Because Georgia could end up being the pick to win the SEC in part because of how favorable the regular season schedule looks and because obviously they don't have Bama. So there's this, this natural processing where you're kind of mentally hedging and you're like, ah, maybe LSU is going to be a little bit close, but Georgia we know is going to be there. So Georgia is right. the safer bet to be able to just get there and then mm-hmm. you won't end up looking as dumb. Whereas if you say like, oh, LSU is going to, and I don't think LSU would be the pick to, to win the SEC. Some will. But whereas if you say like, oh, I think it's going to be LSU, Georgia, Georgia wins the SEC. 
maybe there's a part of you that feels dumb for saying that, but it'd be fascinating to see Georgia not pick to win the SEC again. Yeah, and I think, you know, we haven't even talked about the Georgia part of this because of exactly what you just said. I think that, okay, let me ask you this. If, if it came down today, and there's a lot of ball to be played, I understand that. Who would you pick second? I'd pick Georgia to win the SEC because we got to do it by divisions. No, I'm saying second in the East. Oh, second in the East. Uh, second in the East, gosh. That's a good question. Crystal Ball Series will be coming out in August. Shameless plug. You know how we do it. We pick every single game that every single SEC team plays. So we really go in and we do this. We don't just throw records out there right. and just say, oh, this team's going to be 9-3. Um, mm. Tennessee is my knee-jerk reaction. That's the basic pick. I will be debating Kentucky and South Carolina as well. It will be. Maybe some of this will be dependent on post-spring movement in the portal. Right. That could be on the table. Injuries happen, stuff like that. I'm at least thinking about it. But we're still looking at that Georgia schedule going, if they don't go 12-0, it would be a stunner. It truly would be. And I, I don't like to say that, but they are already at that place, despite the fact that they have a road game against a team that won 11 games last year. That's the game at Tennessee. But when you beat Tennessee the, the way that Georgia did last year, a game that your boy ate some crow on, ate a little bit of crow, it changes things. So can Georgia finally break through and be the first team to knock Alabama off of this preseason pedestal that it has been on no matter what the returning production looks like, no matter what the returning coordinators are, it does not matter. And so will we finally default to something else? Is Georgia going to become the new default? It's definitely possible. Yeah, I think, and like that's kind of where I'm going. And listen, I I spent too much time making fun of Alabama's schedule. Look at this schedule, because buddy, UT Martin, Ball State, UAB, stand up. Power yeah, the Oklahoma game was 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 canceled because right. of the the them coming to the SEC. Coming, yeah. It didn't make sense to have both of them. I know, and I, and again, they've done a good job. Like they've played some Clemson's. They played like they they've gone out of their conference. So was Bama. I'm just making jokes here, guys. Like I know people get sensitive about this stuff, but like point being, like I think that we're kind of aligned here, which is exactly what you said, man. It's that we're looking at an SEC West where. You have Bama, LSU. Hey, um, maybe Petrino's A&M gets a little bit spicy. I don't know. West has always got like a, a third team that's always kind of spicy. Lane's back and happy. He's not trying to, you know, play through the media anymore. So maybe he's going to do well with one of those five quarterbacks. But point being, yeah. like the West is going to be a little bit muddy. And the East feels like a straight shot. And to your point, it's like we might be in a situation with Tennessee where – it could be this crazy prove it game for no reason because if Georgia runs through them twice during this like resurgence, it's like, oh, this style just can't beat Georgia. And and even if Tennessee wins, Tennessee could be sitting there at, at least two SEC losses at that point because they play Alabama and they'll definitely throw up over their shoes at some point just because it's so hard to win to lose one SEC game and have it be Bama. You know what I'm saying? So it could be a situation where Georgia's undefeated, even if they lose to Tennessee, that it wouldn't matter because Tennessee's record isn't gonna put them there. And so point being, like I think Georgia's Kind of definitely the money pick to win the SEC is a long way of saying that. If Georgia isn't the pick to win and it's Bama again, I won't be stunned. Right. But I'll think it's fascinating. <laughs> I truly would. I mean, if if Bama ever wants to claim disrespect again, I mean, goodness gracious. That, that is the ultimate like, that's sign the thing, of respect. Like, it's so weird between Bama and Georgia right now because during this run, they're still one and one against Bama, right? Like they... They lost in the championship, and then they beat the. Well, sorry, they they lost. Let me be specific about which championship they lost in the SEC championship. And they won the national championship, so they're one and one despite all this other, you know, all these other games. So, Bama fans are probably still kind of like, 
okay, play us. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Cause I, you know, it, I may have every right to feel that way because yep. every time before that they found a way and found a way and found a way over and over again. And I think that some of the reaction from Georgia fans is to balance out this noise that Bama fans still have that one thing where they're like, yeah, but you still really got to beat us like in this run, have a winning record against us at least. And so, um, but anyway, so point being like, that's just going to be a very interesting dynamic because, you know, if Bama gets there, you know, then what happens? So I, I think that that's that like those three teams, I think are set up and then there will be kind of a, some always a dark horse. The answer I think is yes. I probably will end up giving Bama that yummy rat poison. Yeah, in Georgia some way. In the SEC. In some way. There, some sort of disrespect because good. I'm sorry. That's where I was trying to get back to. My bad. At this point, it's ridiculous to not pick Georgia because of the run. You know what I'm saying? But once we get to the game, Bama fans will feel confident as heck. You know yeah. what I'm saying? But we as media, I'm not a media member. You as a media member with a vote get to be like, okay, it, it's ridiculous at this stage to not be like, well, we just got to trust Georgia blindly because of what they've done over the last, not just two years, but five years. You know, like they feel almost as safe as Bama unless they're directly playing Bama. Yeah. Even if it was just last year, even if, if <laughs> let's, so let's say you could change history in 2021 for Georgia was just a 10 and two season, uh, mm-hmm. like a classic Mark Rick season, something like that, where they had like two early season losses. They fell out of the national championship picture or something like that. They end up going to a new year six bowl or, you know, you, you get what I'm saying. And instead they they lost a bunch of production off the 2021 team. They lost the same amount of production, 15 players in the NFL draft, and then that team won a national championship. Even if it was just that one national championship, and we're not talking about a, a team coming off of a two peat going for a three peat, there would still be a large part of me that's like, wait, Kirby just did that with those questions. Mm-hmm. Maybe that should be the new default because if you can overcome that, you can do anything. So will we default to the new standard, which? That's what Georgia has become or the old standard. This is the first time in which we've really had to ask that question during this run that Bama has been on. And I find that interesting. Yeah. I mean, this is as close to, like you said, this is close to an equal that Saban has had in Kirby smart. I mean, Davos kind of his own thing, right? Because he's just over there beating up Wake Forest. Like it's always been like, all right, like they could do it in the postseason, but I think we as SEC fans have always kind of been like, Okay, dude, like if you get there, we respect you, but kind of it's not the same as Saban because Saban's like the worst team on Saban's schedule might be, you know, Mississippi State, like whereas it's just like, you know, in conference at least. And so with Kirby, they're doing they're beating the same teams, right? They're beating these ranked teams. They're showing these things where it's not like, oh, this is random. It's not like, oh, you have one great quarterback or, oh, you play cupcakes and then you gear up for two games. So, yeah, I think that this is the first chance that the team really has to like actually challenge Nick Saban because guys are, you know, came and went, right? Someone's you're like even less miles you could say came and went and it was kind of like equal for a minute because we got to have that drama. But yeah. Should be a very interesting poll that I'm clearly eagerly awaiting of course I'm sitting here talking about it what three months in advance. SEC Media Days can't get here soon enough. Mm-hmm. Um okay let's talk let's talk some Maggies with with my guy David Nuno before we do that a quick word from our friends at underdog sports betting not legal in a bunch of SEC states Georgia Alabama Florida South Carolina etc most of the SEC states you cannot bet on sports I want to talk to you about underdog fantasy you might have tried daily fantasy in the past but underdog is a new platform that's extremely popular right now and they have some awesome contests where you can compete for real money it is a great way to scratch that sports betting itch 
We have an exclusive arrangement right now with Underdog. Go to SaturdayDownSouth.com slash Underdog. You can automatically double your deposit when you join. Sign up, throw in 50 bucks. They'll throw in 50 more dollars. It is a great way to get some money to play in these contests. You can pick higher or lower for different players. It's pretty similar to sports betting player props. You can put real money on the line. Yes, this is legal and live in states like Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Texas, etc. You can do it all these different states. Underdog. It's awesome. Super fun to do while you're watching any sport in your living room and you can win some real money. Go to SaturdayDownSouth.com slash underdog and take advantage of our promo where underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. That is $100 absolutely free. SaturdayDownSouth.com slash underdog. All right, here is David Nuno. I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is my guy, David Nuno, the voice of Texags Radio. Uh, David, Glad to see you're not rocking the the deep yellow V-neck. Uh, <laughs> you, I, I remember SVP and Rosillo, they used to talk about the auto rotation shirts when you're on TV and every once in a while, you got to mix one of those in there. Have you, since you wore that shirt on Texags radio, <laughs> have you worn that out of the confines of your own home? No, I haven't. So for those who don't know, I uh, I got this huge Hulkamania looking V-neck workout shirt that I wore to work one day um, because I thought it was kind of stylish. And then Billy Lucci, who's our executive editor, co-owner, boss, friend, he could not stop to make, I mean, it was a make fun of Nuno Fest the entire day. And I realized how many folks who saw that shirt that I know have zero style or any you know, fashion sense at all were calling me out. And as, as opposed to fighting every fight that I could fight, I decided, you know what, I'm just going to bury this shirt. Cause even my wife later on was like, yeah, I wouldn't have worn that to work. <laughs> the problem is I think it's really, uh, it's really off brand for you. Cause like you, you like, you know, you, you're one of those guys, you don't just like throw on a random shirt in a given day. And it was so out of character for you that when I saw that, I was like, what's it, are you like doing this for content? But it <laughs> it played and it worked and you got content out of it. So all yeah. Makes sense. I, I it was one of the look, I wake up for the show. Our show's from eight to eleven central time. I usually wake up around four forty-five for the show. And sometimes there's a thought process, sometimes there isn't. I saw the yellow shirt, I put it on. Uh by the way, it's the second time I've worn it. The first time I got a little bit of flack, it was the fact that I wore it a month later again. And oh. I don't think like people wear t-shirts, Oshkosh Bagosh, like you know, they 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 wear things that I would make fun of, but it was the fact that I wore it that made it even more fun. I, I thought it was great. So I, I was really hoping you were going to be able to wear it today, but uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll move on. Uh, didn't want to just talk about fashion today. I, I've, I've thought about something that you asked me on your airwaves a, a few weeks ago. Why do people care so much about Jimbo? And why are we hanging on to every word of that press conference where, you know, you were there, you saw it. It was, uh, I think we can all agree. It was, it was awkward the way that he handled kind of the, the Bobby Petrino role and what this is going to look like, what the offense is going to look like and everything from your perspective. And you have a different perspective, mm -hmm. actually being there, living this every single day. Why do you think there are people like myself on the outside who are so emotionally invested in this dynamic? Part of it, is because the way Jimbo handled the Nick Saban ordeal last summer. Um, and look, I know that people were quick to attack Jimbo after the big contract. And by the way, there's a lot of other guys who have a huge contract in college football that you True. could say don't deserve it as well, right? But I think the way he handled the whole Alabama thing, which as an A&M fan, and I'm a, I'm a journalist, but I'm also a fan of the school. I went to, to the university. Um, I, I think for that particular day, we felt like he he had our back, right? And that moment 
And with some time, I wish he didn't respond the way he did. But that particular day when I'm on the air and he's going on a press conference and we're taking it live and we're responding, we're like, this guy's got our back because somebody lied about our program. And, and I think from an A&M perspective, regardless if you believe NIL is the reason they got the number one class, I have reasons to believe it wasn't the reason. Right. Uh, I have, And I can support those with my own reasons or my own facts. But I think. Because AM got that number one recruiting class and because it was such a, the biggest and the best of all time, all those reasons. And then you had Lane kind of coming after Jimbo and other whispers on social media and the way that Nick, I don't think he thought it was going to get out the way it did, but it did get out. Um, I think because Jimbo was not able to back up that talk with the season that they had, the embarrassing five and seven year after talking like, yeah, we're here. What are you going to do about it, Nick? And they go in five and seven. And sure, there are reasons for that five and seven beyond Jimbo Fisher's coaching last year. There are other reasons, but I think that is a big reason. And also, there was a part of the national media, and I wasn't covering AM at the time. I'm following him, of course. But when he left Florida State, if you remember, weeks before, there was, there was a couple of rumors that had popped out about him leaving Florida State for AM. and some of the, the narratives about Jimbo was he would never leave a program like Florida State for Texas A&M. There's no way he'd do that, and he ends up doing it. Um, at least we here locally feel like there's always been like this, like, why does A&M get the benefit from this? Uh, look, I, I know our program has not been what it should be or could be, right? I, I, I recognize that. But it hasn't been for a lack of trying and a lack of resources, as you can obviously tell. Um, but sometimes when when coaches are outspoken and they can't back it up, it makes them a bigger target. And I think absolutely like he's had other issues and other things that people have said about him before, even before that. Uh, Connor, you came on my show and, and talked about how he hadn't had a really legit offense in forever. Right. And we all see it. We got wrapped up into the nine and one season. Right. Like it doesn't have to be a huge offense to get going. Uh, because as long as you can command the line of scrimmage, this the way he runs his offense is going to be fine. Last year, they didn't command anything. Yeah, I think that's that's a, that's a really key thing to remember is that there was at least recently that proof of concept. And for those like myself who said Jimbo's being too stubborn, he's calling his own plays and not necessarily getting with the times, you could still at least point to what they did in 2020 and say that that was a model for success. And AM had a ton of success and they still had their best AP, AP finish since 1939 that year. I, I think there's an element to this that is reality television. Are you watching? Are you caught up on the current season of Love is Blind? Bet you didn't think that was going in this direction. No, uh, I haven't ever watched that show. I think I've seen it tweeted about, but no, I, okay, I don't need to. Very little TV. You don't need to, but okay. basically, like I, I think part of the the intrigue stems from us as the consumer. We see sometimes there's this character in in the show in this current season. This this woman named Irina who is just like she's the absolute worst, and she has these opinions and this view of the world that you just want to be able to shake her and say like you are wrong. And I, I want you to, to be shown that you're wrong and I want you to see the error in your ways and that all the drama that unfolds kind of keeps us hooked as, as messy as it can sometimes be. And she puts herself on this pedestal and she's stubborn and she's really annoying about it. And not to say that Jimbo is, is Irina or whatever, but there is this, this element that we sometimes, we want to see someone be told, Hey, you're wrong. Here's the answer to this situation. And 
people still consume Skip Bayless because they're like, I know that guy is wrong, but someday he's going to be told, hey, you're wrong, and here's why, and he's going to have to eat some crow. There is a little bit of that with this Jimbo situation and switching to Bobby Petrino, and I think that's part of the reason why we, from those on the outside looking in, we want to see Bobby Petrino's offense work to a certain extent, or even if it blows up, we want to see how Jimbo handles this. And that reality TV element, like that's going to be there all year. You guys are probably already sick of it. And the season hasn't even started yet. Yeah. So a couple things about that, like they, their offense has felt prehistoric for some time. And I recognize all that, but they had to go five and seven and be embarrassed the way they did for this kind of change. The reason I say that is, this you can say this about any team in college football, but follow me here for AM. If they scored another touchdown a game, they would have gone 10 and 2, theoretically, statistically, right? They're averaging 22 and a half points a game. They could have been, if they were close to 30 points a game, they're winning a lot of those games. They came down to field goals and touchdowns. Now you could say that about almost any team. Alabama could have been undefeated, or they could have lost those games. But I'm not asking for a leap of, uh, of 20 points. I'm saying legit, like a field goal or a touchdown, this team's season looks completely different. And then Jimbo feels like we're going in the right direction. The problem with this team, beyond some of the obvious things we see offensively, which is the slow getting the plays in and maybe the lack of motion and some of the creativity in the offense. But the, the problem to me has been the offensive line. Because if you have a good offensive line, which we saw against LSU, magically, it, it all came together in, in one game against LSU. And I'm not saying that the whole season would have gone the way LSU did because there were other issues. But as good as the defensive line was from a five-star caliber, they did not get, they did not stop the run. The offensive line did not create enough holes for one of the best running backs in college football in Devon A. Chain. Haynes King, who did not live up to what I thought he would be. Same. Would his story have been different had he had more time? Because there were a lot of times that Zach Calzada and Haynes King looked like, oh my God, where am I going? Right. And and then Haynes got hurt. Zach got hurt. Max got hurt. So there's a part of me that feels like Jimbo had to change, right? But he wasn't that far off. Like if they could, they were far off because they're five and seven. Please don't mis- misunderstand what I'm saying. But if they were able to open up holes with all those recruiting classes that he had stacked on top of each other, but he would hit had a hit on the offensive line, I think we're looking at last season differently. It's still not good enough, right? But the five and seven is why we got Bobby Petrino here in Texas A&M. Had they gone eight and four again and won a couple of those games that just another field goal or another touchdown wins it, we're probably having the same discussion we had last year at this offseason. I'm trying to figure out, why does everybody not like Jimbo? The, the reality is it had to go through that. But I do think in a line of scrimmage league, they've got to command that. And the, li- the loss of Kenyon Green to the NFL, Bryce Foster uh, getting injured early on, and really – the, the growth of some of the other guys in the O-line put them in a, in a position that even Devon A-Chain, as good as he was, had some pedestrian games. And we know how good that player was. Fair, but counterpoint. Yes, sir. Offensive linemen love tempo. And if you look at some of the best offensive lines in the SEC the last couple of years, it's been tempo teams. And so Jimbo, after the LSU game, wherein the offense wakes up and the offense looks great and they run this tempo – Jimbo comes out and speaks against it. And he's saying like, 
oh, look at the last 15 years. There's not one tempo team that's won a national championship. And everybody's like, Jimbo, yeah. what are you talking about? <laughs> like the last five years, all of these teams have run tempo, including the team that's running rickshaw on your entire league. Georgia is running an up-tempo offense with Todd Munkin. Not exclusively. It's not like they only run that. So maybe he's saying, okay, the Arkansas and old misses of the world, those teams aren't winning national championship, but you still have to implement more tempo. And that's what I think we needed to see. And that's what was so frustrating about his philosophy. I mean, Ryan Day had the number two offense in college football and Ohio State fans are like, Ryan Day shouldn't be calling plays anymore. I mean, think about that from that perspective. So Bobby Petrino steps in here and it's going to be interesting to see that the differences in philosophy. What's been the vibe of him overall outside of that weird press conference to start things off? What has been the the college station sort of buzz with him and what he's going to try and do? Because I think everybody's going to be very focused on on that stylistic difference, and if we're going to see the pre-stat motion, if we're going to see the tempo. A couple things of that. Um, we don't get that much access to be hundred percent honest with you, <laughs> and that's the that's the world of, of athletics now. Yep. Right? Like you know, and I, actually, I think it's pretty good access compared to what I remember when I covered the Texans and Bill O'Brien giving us nine seconds. Right? It's it's you know we got to see him stretch. Thanks, Bill. Appreciate that. Um, as long as they're good teammates, that's all Bill would tell us. But beyond that, um, like. To me, the, the vibe is it's got to be better, right? Like, and don't get me wrong, I don't know. I think Jimbo is still brilliant, offensive-minded guy. And I know there's some people who are gonna watch this and be like, whatever, like look, look at the last few years. But those who talk to Jimbo, like the way he sees things, it's kind of like, you know, like in this uh, beautiful mind kind of way, right? He it, but it's so much going on in that head that it we need somebody to take the re, uh the reins from that. So the vibe is. It's going to be a fresh offense. It's going to feel different. And if you hear the players talk about it, again, they're only, I don't read so much in the press conferences because everybody's great in the press conference. This guy's doing great. This guy's doing great. He gets a car. He gets a car. Thanks, Oprah. Like, but I, the vibe feels like there's a workman attitude that people are coming to and they're genuinely excited about what the offense could be. Um, and, I, and I'll say this again, and I hate going back to these last couple of years. There's a, there's a couple of plays away from the way that season goes that feels different, right? They should have beat App State. It should have never come down to the last play of the game, right? It shouldn't have. It shouldn't have come down to missing a field goal and App State having the ball. But if they make one pass in that game to Anaya Smith, it's not a bad pass from Haynes King, and they get the first down and they kick a field goal and they win, does that mean that they maybe go on a different kind of win streak, a different trajectory because the guys are more bought in? This team last year had too many young players in positions of power that didn't know how to win and didn't know how to be um, professionals, if you will, for lack of a better word. Agreed. Uh, and, and I think some of the early issues took a lot of these five stars that are used to being the top guy on campus and just it, it just created a bad vibe. A couple of things have happened this spring. I keep hearing players, again, who knows what press conference material is true and not. Talk about the intensity of these practices, an excitement level for these practices, a workman's like attitude at these practices. And some of that, I think, is the fresh approach that Bobby Petrino brings. It's a different lens because I think these guys realize this offense isn't working. This isn't just a one year sample set. This is multiple years of a pedestrian offense that hasn't done what it should in 2020. And by the way, leading up to 2020, those are pretty good seasons. Jimbo's first year, nine wins, considering what they had the year before, all success. This is the first time in Jimbo's career, and you could mention the last year at Florida State, where he really took a left hook, right? And I think the fresh approach with Bobby Pacino, this new offensive identity, and 
players who are coming back. Like Anaya Smith didn't have to come back. It makes sense that he's coming back because of his injury. He probably wouldn't have gotten the, the NFL grade that he wanted, but he didn't have to come back here. He's coming back. And some of that is because they feel that Bobby Petrino's offense will be much better. What does that mean? Get me to 32 points a game and I'm throwing, I'm doing cartwheels, right? Which is not amazing in the SEC, but I'll do it. I'll, I'll be happy. I mean, when you go nearly two years without 30 to 31 points against, you know, FBS competition, whatever that number was, it's like, yeah, you'll, you'll take that all day, every day. That's, that's the standard in, in this day and age. And I think people that are starved for that offense, they, they know all too well of, of what it takes to be able to get to that level. Cause they, they very often see it across the, across the league. Um, while I think we can be critical of Jimbo in this sense, while I think there are a lot of people who look at the Petrino move as like, oh, he's he's desperate now. This is the last ditch effort. You give up play calling duties. You shift the blame to somebody else. I always, every single time, whenever somebody tells me, oh, Jimbo's on the hot seat or, oh, Jimbo's got to win X amount of games. I'm like, okay, so I, I got my Iowa notepad sitting right here. I don't keep this very far away from me. I'm going to show it to you right now. I've showed it to you on Tech radio. I'm going to show yeah. it to you again. I got all the Jimbo Fisher buyout numbers just sitting right there because I'm like, all right, so Jimbo Fisher's going to get fired. So they're going to pay three and a half times more than the, the richest buyout in the history of college football buyouts for a head coach. Like, no, that's, that's not going to happen. We can separate those things, I think, and still have a, a conversation about Jimbo. What do you think his next three years look like, though, if we're doing the projecting thing? Because I think about this often. He's not going anywhere until that buyout is, is under $50 million, which it won't be until after 2026. So what do you think those three years or four years can look like? Are they going to get to that place where that floor is at least at nine to 10 wins? Because I think that's what he's being paid to do. Yeah, he's absolutely being paid to do that. Um, so a couple of things about that. I think every coach that goes five and seven is on the hot seat, right? Like there's not a lot. If Steve Sarkeesian this year goes five and seven, there's going to be some whispers about him too, right? Like Nice choice. Is, I see what she did there. Well, <laughs> it was natural. It just came out. Uh, but look, I think you can make that argument for almost every coach in college football, right? Uh, if Brian Kelly this year at LSU, who had an amazing year last year, has a terrible year, there are going to be some whispers. Can he really do it at LSU? I think he's fine for a couple of years. As for Jimbo in the next two or three years, he can't go five and seven again. All right. Um, and I'm not saying that they would let him go, but they might. Right. Like, AM's got some pockets. Right. But I, I don't think that. I think they are, I hate to say, but like in my, I haven't looked at the, a lot of people in the, in the spring like to look at the calendar and be like, all right, well, they, they should win this game. They should lose that game. I haven't done that yet because. I have to see a change. I want to see against New Mexico, a team that doesn't struggle to score 30 points against a, a pedestrian team. I'm sorry, New Mexico, but what we saw AM do last year against Sam Houston State, they should have scored 70 on them. They did That's not. Bad. The year before, yeah. Kent State, right? Like, So before I do any kind of projections, I want to see what this offense and really how the defense responds to stopping the run. Those are the two big issues. Can you score? Can you stop the run? Because Ole Miss running for 600 yards at Kyle Field, that's an embarrassment. should never happen. So I need to see that. Uh, I still am at a point where I believe Jimbo can get it done. Um, I like Jimbo, and that, that goes into it. Uh, I know the contract. And I and I this guy is recruiting at a high pace. Even this past year, you look at the efficiency of that recruiting class, considering the, the kind of star talent that he got with a smaller class, he is still recruiting at a high, high adjunction. He's just got to figure it out. Is year two of DJ Durkin, is it any better? Right? Year one was eh, but year two of Durkin at Ole Miss was really good. 
Can he do have that kind of success? Now he's focusing on the linebackers. Linebackers have been a huge issue for AM. Is the Bobby Petrino experiment? Does it work? Do they get along on the field? Right. I need to see a lot of those storylines play out before I consider year two, year three, year four. But I'm, I'm gonna tell you, it's not acceptable to win five games, and I'm and it's not acceptable to win eight games. And I know that's what AM has done a lot of, but that shouldn't be okay. Uh and but I'm not at a point that I don't think that they can fix it. I don't think they're as far off as some people think, um, especially if Bobby Petrino gives them that 30 points a game, which I want more, but I'll take that. Did they hit up Billy to ask him for some of that buyout money? Is that is that how that would work if they went five and seven? <laughs> uh, I think they're going to the bigger fish than Billy. But look, if we're already thinking about five and seven right now, like for next season, like I'm saying from an AM perspective, then you've given up hope. I do believe it can be fixed. I agree. Um, and, and I think Jimbo Fisher can be the guy. We've seen other coaches have like Brian Kelly. Didn't he have a, a year at, at Notre Dame where maybe yeah. they went five and seven and they made wholesale change? Like we've seen Urban Meyer not have that bad of a year, but make changes as well. Like you see coaches make changes. Um, and this is step one. Step one is, I think, a huge step by bringing in an offensive-minded guy. If those guys can get on the same page and it work, and I think it can, and what I've seen at practice for the 20 minutes we get to watch, I've seen Bobby Petrino calling plays. I've seen Jimbo yelling when he needs to and praising when he needs to. I've seen the CEO type. We'll see how it translates in the fall and into success in September because that Miami game week two is coming fast, and I know they beat Miami at Kyle Field, and I know Miami had a bad year, but that's going to be that first test. And then you got Arkansas a couple weeks away. Arkansas with KJ Jefferson, you've split. And by the way, I want to go back to a point you did. Uh, you asked me about the, the the narrative of Jimbo. Sometimes I think Jimbo brings it upon himself, but like sometimes I think people forget this guy is a national championship head coach, right? They they, they forget that. I, I I got into a, a an on air argument with somebody who was talking about Sam Pittman being a better coach. Look. I love Sam Pittman. I don't drink beer, but I'd have a beer with Sam Pittman. And I think Sam Pittman is an awesome coach. But Jimbo Fisher has won a national championship and has more 10-win seasons than than not, right? Like this guy has done a lot of success as a head coach. The last few years, it's not trending in the direction we want it to do. So when I compare the two, Jimbo's beat him two out of three. And I'm not making this about Sam because I'm going to get about a, a million um, tweets from Arkansas fans. I guess my point is sometimes we forget this guy has had a really nice career this past year, he deserves all the blame he gets. But he has had a successful career, which is why he got the big money. And the reason he got the new money was because of the Orange Bowl season where they went 9-1. and one. And in all SEC seasons, some people don't want to recognize that as a good season because it was a COVID year. But Alabama still takes that national championship. The Lakers are still celebrating that NBA title. Uh, the Dodgers are still enjoying their World Series ring. We're going to enjoy a 9-1 and one season that we hope we can build on two years later. I know who said that too. Um, but the, yeah, I mean, that that's the, that's where the, this gets murky and that's where people have these conversations is all right. So what is he in the current context? I would take Mark Stoops over Jimbo Fisher. I've been pretty adamant about that. I, I think that it's, it's a very different set of circumstances, what they inherited and what they're, they're building, but that's probably why some of these conversations come to the forefront and Jimbo Fisher is not going to be included in these top five coach rankings. And just because you have a national championship that happened, you know, nine you know it happened a decade ago i i think that the conversation changes and we, we talk about you in a, in a different sort of way with with current context well let me throw this in he, he shouldn't right now 
I'm not. I'm not arguing that at all. Today he's not, he shouldn't be considered. A, I think I forget who had a list. He was like came in at 17th. I think that's fair for what they did last year. I think that's fair. A year ago though, at this time, most people had him as a top five to ten coach in that range, even though they went eight and four, right? And the year prior. So look, you are what your most recent season is, right? Um, the guy is still a great recruiter, and if he figures again, if he if if. Bobby Petrino has been empowered to take care of the offense and they score more points. I think he's going to be back in that conversation of top 10 coaches and, and with a national championship. And I know there've been other national championship head coaches that have lost their jobs who weren't considered a top 10 coach. I get that. Uh, and I know that Jameis Winston's season was a long time ago for Jimbo, uh, but nine and one wasn't that long ago. These last two seasons have felt like it's been 20 years ago though. Yeah. Last time Jimbo had an all uh, all conference quarterback, Jameis. Last time he had a top 30 passing offense, Jameis. Connor Wigman, the, the pieces around him are really ideal. You, you get the, the Bobby Petrino factor. You get a, a very experienced offensive line. Again, that was the foundation of that 2020 team. You also get your top three re returning receivers back. Yes, you you got to replace Devon A-Chain. That's not a given. But, man, I, I find myself kind of buying the projection with him, and I was encouraged by the limited sample size. Mm -hmm. And when he was able to run tempo – I was like, all right, this, this, this kind of makes sense. This is kind of the vision. I don't want to do the thing where we compare it with Johnny Manziel because we shouldn't do that with every AM quarterback that's good. That that just doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. What should realistic expectations be for him despite the fact that he spells his first name wrong? <laughs> I like that. A uh, couple things about him. He should have started earlier than he did, right? And I and I think we're talking about a different season. Um, and, and I'll go to the South Carolina game. They were in that 17-0 hole immediately, like within like five minutes, right? Um, and they had a chance to win that game. Spencer Rattler was not incredible in that one. He was really good at past that game, but that was a very winnable game even in that 17-0 hole, right? Uh, he he should have started earlier. Uh, the Ole Miss game where he did start, they were a play away from winning that game. Um, and they didn't get it done, and Ole Miss has struggled against top teams. But they had a great start to last year. Another game that they could have won. You can you look at the Alabama game. Haynes King was actually okay in that game, right? Um, and that last play, uh, I didn't love the play call. And that's Nobody did, except Doring. But right. yeah. But I, I understand the play call. I just didn't love it. Like I just and, and and maybe I didn't like the execution of it either. But regardless, if Connor's in that game, do they potentially win that game? I don't know. Haynes was kind of good in that one. I'm saying all those things to say how close this team was last year with the challenges that they had. When I look at Connor. I see a guy who's got swagger and swagger sometimes can just be that. You know, the guy walks in, he thinks he's better than everybody. This guy seems to back it up with his teammates. The, his, the locker room loves him. He's got like, even from his first day on campus, people are like, he, he knew he was the guy. Like, give me the ball. I can make plays. I am so excited to see what Connor can do um, because of the skills, what he did at Bridgeland High School, what he, the highest ranked quarterback that Jimbo's had since Jameis, I believe, or, or second highest, right? Um, he has got all the, the skills. He can run off tempo. He can do fast play. Uh, he he should be. And when you look at the landscape of the SEC, who's the best quarterback in the SEC next year? KJ. My KJ. Opinion. Coming right. back at least, going into the season, doesn't mean he's going to finish as the best, but going into the year, I have KJ as my number one guy. And I, and, and I won't argue with that. And I think KJ is solid. But would you agree there's not like a – top guy that stands out completely if you want to say kj that's fine but like you look at the crop of quarterbacks in the sec there's still questions at alabama right there's questions at auburn there's questions all around joe milton who we think he's going to be he might be great right but there's an opening and i think connor has an opportunity 
to insert himself in that conversation because right now it's been about potential. He's got a chance now to be like, look, I told you guys what I was about, and here it is. And it's open. There's no Bryce Young right now, right? There's no Stetson Bennett. There, there's an opportunity for quarterbacks with a new offense and a guy who's got the swagger, and that's where the comp- uh, the comparisons to Johnny make sense. He's got a swagger to him that it just you can feel the confidence. And it's not like overly cocky. It's just like, let's go make a play. He comes across that way. Um, and I think there's an opening in the SEC for that. Is it going to be Connor? Is it going to be Spencer? Is it is it KJ going to take care of that even with a new offensive coordinator? We'll see. Uh, but I think he's worthy of the conversation. And I think he can certainly, with this fresh look to the offense, again, all dependent on my opinion on the offensive line, I, I think he'll be in that conversation for one of the five, six best in the SEC. On the other side of the ball, the headliner from that historic class, Walter Nolan, guy who comes in with sky high expectations and we're, we're trying to figure out, all right, what's he going to be kind of long-term and, you know, I, I think it's a little bit different if if Mike Elko had been his defensive coordinator. I am the number one Mike Elko fan on the face of this earth. But he comes into this situation, he gets to play right away. You know, you see some of that ability from the pass rush standpoint. You still is figuring out kind of how that how to be that run stopper in the SEC. Most interior defensive linemen usually don't have that part of the game figured out year one. But what is his potential? What can he be? Because I feel like if we're going to be making the Jalen Carter comparisons, which you know. Rocking number 88. Did he change it? But he changed the number to number zero, though, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. so no longer we're going with the Jalen Carter comparisons. But, you know, I'm interested in what the expectations are because I felt like it was kind of a quiet year one from him outside of the the brief drama that we had uh, from the Instagram post where he's, like, talking about maybe going in the portal. Tennessee fans kind of freaked out. But what should be the kind of the the, the expectation for him in this very pivotal year two? Well, yesterday, Jimbo signaled him out. I like, talked about how good of a, of a spring he's had. Look, I think Walter will take a huge step this year, but I'm going to remind people he doesn't have to because there's a lot of players around. Like McKinley Jackson is a freaking beast. Isaiah Ray, like there, there's a lot of guys on that line. They have so much depth there on the D line. The, the one thing I need to see more from that entire group, and that, that includes Walter, is getting to the quarterback. They did not get a lot of sacks last year. Um, Fidel Diggs had a little stretch where he was on fire, yeah. sack after sack, and then he got hurt and he missed the rest of it. I think people forget that you could be a 17, 18-year-old kid and have success, no doubt. But when you're talking about a 17, 18-year-old kid going against 23-year-old men in some cases, especially on the off, there's a man strength versus a kid strength. And Walter's starting to get that man strength, the full year of being in this program and and a full year of having DJ Durkin again, right? I think that goes a long way. He is that kind of guy, though. When we talk about the the Connor swagger, Walter has that as well. He walks in with a certain confidence that he's going to make players around him better. This is going to be a huge year for him. But again, it doesn't have to just be him because he does have McKinley Jackson, who's a beast right next to him. I'm going to let you set the expectation because you were talking about a little bit before uh, what would be considered successful? What what what's the the record this year? Because A and M always hears the eight and four jokes. Mm-hmm. Is it nine and three is considered a success? I think they should be the most improved team in the SEC based on the returning production. The fact that they were five and seven last year. The only way to go is up. Like what is what is kind of the the mark? Do we just set it at eight and four and say anything other than that? Anything worse than that is disappointing, and anything better than that is considered a success. Well. It's so hard to say because, and, and I mean this with all due respect to the other conferences, but eight and four in the SEC is not eight and four in other conferences. Like, I, like legit, you, you look at AM schedule next year. 
Um, and, you know, the Miami game, should they win? I, I think so. I, I want to see the changes Miami has. But, like, you can beat Alabama next year. You can beat Arkansas. But you can lose to the Mississippi schools, which they've done, right? Like, you you can lose to Tennessee. Uh, those are all very losable games. I think success is 9-3. and three. I want 10-2. and two. Don't we all? Uh, except Alabama. They want 12 and 0. But I I want nine and three for what I think the talent and what it means to year six to Jimbo Fisher. Um, I've tried not to look at the schedule and look at four losses, five losses yet, because I just want to see what they are. But like eight and four would be a disappointment, but I get it. And again, what are the other teams? If is South Carolina, you know, running again and and being one of the most improved teams in football again, is Arkansas running away with it? Um, is, is LSU, again, the, the cream of the crop, and this is a down year for Alabama, and you don't take advantage of them? I'm not saying it's a down year. I just There's a lot of questions at Alabama, and they usually figure them out. But as of today, there's still a lot of questions at Alabama. So I think I'd have to see the other storylines play out, which sounds like a cop-out answer. But t- to me, as I'm talking to you today on April, what is it, the uh, 13th? they got to win nine games, in my mind. Um, would I understand eight games? Yeah, and I'd understand the jokes on Twitter, too. Um, you know, can this team win 10? I think they can. Like I, I look at Tennessee and I think they could be great, but I don't know. I want to see Joe Milton's version of them. I look at Alabama, like, is, is it going to be Ty Simpson? Is it not like, you know, Jalen Milrow, like that game, the last couple of years has come down to the final play. That is can, true. Can you get them at Kyle field and win? I think you can, but I've also seen you lose the 30 to Alabama. Like everybody else has. Right. Um, so I, I almost feel like the other storylines in the sec will help kind of color my perspective but i'm sitting to you here today and like i'll be disappointed with eight and four but i'll get it i want nine and three i need ten and two but i think nine and three seems like the number that like where most people would get off jimbo's back for a little bit and they could in in a nine and three season with you know potentially a tenth win in a bowl game you got connor wegman going into his junior year with all these guys from the 22 class and maybe another top 10 class to add to that, I think that will bode well. A uh, seven and five season, can you can you make an argument that, hey, they're better? Sure, but it's not going to feel good here in College Station, no. and that'll just allow the others to come after you. So I, I think nine wins to me is what I'm looking for, but I also look at that SEC schedule. I'm like, I see. I can see three, four losses. Of course I can because it's the SEC. I think you're right on the money with that. Last one before I let you go, and it's not AM related at all. Uh, we do an adulting segment here on the Saturday Down South podcast called Figuring It Out, and this plays perfectly into that. The zero fade. You did it last year, very brief. Like there was this, you said it was just a bad haircut. Like you, you went too short with it. I don't know if you told your stylist something a little bit differently, but is it, what, what, is there a certain age uh. that we as adults, should not do the zero fade because I get the half like down, like down here on the edges. And I, and I always think to myself, could I do the zero fade? Cause it's different to get it in the back, but is there a certain age in which we can't do a zero fade? It's like you turn 30 and you can't be doing it anymore because you brought up a, I, I thought a fair point of like, yeah, this just isn't my look. I just shouldn't be doing this. Well, a couple of things. I always ask for the zero fade, but you have to understand there are different zero fade uh clippers out there right yes yes okay so my normal guy the zero fade is not so zero like it's kind of half zero right like whatever that is and i said can i get a zero no you sure yeah um that particular day i believe i went to a different stylist because my my dude was busy 
And they did like the follow-up, you know, like when they get like, it looks like, um, almost looks like a garage door opener. Like they do the zero and then they followed up and they like ball that bad boy. Yeah. I feel like for, I'm 46, going to be 47, 46 year old man who did not like, hasn't been in the sun to have that much white is a problem. Like it was so, like, it looked like powder stunt double. It was not a good look. Um, I'm okay with the zero. I'm going to tell you a story about my time in television. I might get in trouble for this. <laughs> So back in 2014, I, I'm a big soccer guy, as I think you know, um, watching a lot of Ronaldo, and he had the zero. Like he was one of the first guys to really get the the zero look. Yep. And then a bunch of the Texans were doing it too. Brian Cushing had the zero to the side. It was awesome, right? So before a game, I'll never forget this August of 2014. I'm like, I'm doing it, baby. And I and I go on the Saturday morning to my stylist, who I to this day, he cringes every time I ask for a zero because of this. I go, give me the zero, give me the Brian Cushing Ronaldo look. Gotcha. He gives it to me. Okay. I go straight to the tailgate at, at, at the Texans game at NRG stadium to do a live hit. He forgot to put product in my hair. So, you know, it was wet. It was down. I'm out there in Houston humidity and my, I look like the guy from kid and play kid. My hair goes <laughs> shoom. All right. But I don't even know this is happening. And again, the side is super bald, super white. I got trending on Twitter. It was David Nuno's hair on Twitter. No. No. And, and I saw people looking at me weird. Like, well, I'm walking around like, dude, this, this old guy doing this haircut. Oh, this is happening. Oh, yeah. There, there's a guy that I work with at, at the old ABC station that still shows me the picture of that. He screenshot it like, dude, how did you do this to your hair? So it was such a bad look. I did a hit at 10 p.m. Not, I realized it didn't look great, but I didn't realize that it was like I should have looked in the mirror, but I didn't. It was kid and play style. My news director, my assistant news director calls me that evening, all right? And he goes, hey, big guy, what can you tell me about the hair? And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, that you can't do that. And, and, and they explained to me, and to their credit, in, in the news industry, we pay for your look. Like, there's a certain look that, we, that our viewers get used to. You can't just change it up. I didn't think I changed it up that much. I had somebody suggest to me, seriously, can you use shoe polish on the side of your head? The, oh, Yes. Uh, pardon? No, I just cut the whole thing off. And I look like an army guy the next day, but like legit. And I had to go to Denver for the week with the Texans. They were practicing with the Broncos and I looked like army Joe. Like it, it was a good look, but like it was complete because it was too much for them. And they asked, they told me you should use shoe polish on the side of your head, which I did not do. I'm so glad I asked that question. <laughs> no idea. Oh my God. So you like, when you experience that, you're like, Oh my God. This is exactly like what I went through a few years ago, but in a different setting because you're just getting your chops busted on air. That's right, a right. little bit different than being at an NFL stadium and having people like giving you that look of what what's going on with this dude? dude? What's what's up in with a this? suit with it puff? Uh, I, I'm not going to send you the picture. I'm sure you can find it, and your your uh, listeners and viewers will. I'm going to now. Yeah, I'll show it to you in person at SEC Media Days because it was not a like it's in the moment. I felt like I had the worst hair in the history of the world. I mean, it was trending on Twitter, at least in Houston Twitter. Like it was like there was on the side, look, Nuno, you're trending. Oh my God, how embarrassing is this? I've had a lot of funny incidents in my career. That was the most embarrassing without a doubt. You answered the question though. I think that's why you can't risk a zero fade as an adult. Or if you do, you have to know the exact clippers and it can't be a true zero. It's got to be more of the half because if you risk it, man, that... Mm, the downside is it's significant. 
Well, here's how you do it though, Connor, because I've thought about this because there's times I want the zero, like my hair grows fast. If I'm going on a cruise, I want my hair to look tight for a few Same. days, right? Yep. You go Friday afternoon after work. Work can't fire you at that point. Good Your points. family can deal with it. You can wear a hat and yeah, it looks a little weird, but like you can get away with it. And like, what I hate is I get a haircut, let's say on a Tuesday, but I really want it to look fresh on a Friday. And then you get to Friday, you're like, dude, I look like I have an Afro again. So that that's the problem. Oh, such great knowledge. Oh, you're the best, man. Absolutely love it. Appreciate the time. We'll talk soon. Hey, brother. I appreciate you having me on. How about this one? I call it bold and brash. More like belongs in the trash. <laughs> Sorry. I must have missed that one. Bold and brash. We're talking SEC spring games. On Saturday, your boy ain't leaving the couch. It's gonna, I'm just going to tell myself it's fall, and I'm going to get excited that way. I'm probably going to be disappointed if I tell myself it's fall. I'll be honest with you, but hmm. man, we have, uh, we got a whole, we got a whole bunch of SEC spring games, Arkansas, Mississippi state, Tennessee, Ole Miss, Georgia, A&M, South Carolina. We'll have full takeaways with the early pod next week. Sort of like a, what's, what's real, what's not maybe an overreaction versus real reaction. Uh, so we'll have a lot to, to be able to break down and discuss. I'm just hoping that they get better weather than what, Auburn got because that was oh that was so yeah. bad that's what we were just talking about off air is like the only thing we hope for is no injuries and clear skies in spring everything else is just icing I just no don't give me a significant injury don't I that that would just be the worst possible thing if how about this if your team suffers a significant injury you can you can do um a year without a spring game a year and you could just default to that like I, I don't want to get anybody hurt even though you can get hurt non-contact injury on basically anything that you do that isn't a walkthrough, but right. let's just do that. How about if your team gets hurt, you get an excuse not to have a spring game. Not that we don't like spring games, but you just got to take them for, for what they are. And your team has the out the LSU looking like LSU is not going to have a spring game this year. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was, it's just like the most football coach move of all time. Right. It's like, Hey, we don't get, wanna, don't want to give away the secrets. Hey, we're contending this year. You know, Jaden, I know none of you has been talking about Jaden a little bit, but he's not, He's, we haven't named him the starter yet, so we don't want to put any film out there of any of the guys, you know, specifically. Yeah, we don't We don't know. Jaden Daniels has been a starter four years. Like, yeah, you know what? We don't want people getting extra looks at him. I, I get it. Like, there's, you know, there's a certain bit of, of not wanting that overreaction, and I'm not going to, you know, hate too much on, on BK for that, but I do think that there is something to be said for being able to kind of get your guys out in somewhat of a live atmosphere to see how they respond, how they handle all those different things. Um, okay. Saturday Down South Podcast Facebook group. We've got some good responses here. We've got some good responses. Let's start with this one from Paige Cooper. Paige says, Gamecocks by 20. That's great because, you know, I don't know what scoring system Shane Beamer is going to use. That's probably going to be right. <laughs> That's the kind of thing. Like, Shane Beamer is like, I want his coaching career to be very long. But he's like such a post-career guy because he's a guy who could come up with a little scoring system like that. Like, put Shane Beamer in charge of the Pro Bowl. I would love, like... Giving him little things to take away is so fun. I think I could come up with a pretty good scoring system that <laughs> wouldn't drive everybody crazy. My one request is if you're going to have a weird scoring system, you need that showing on the screen the entire time. If I'm going to have any sort of idea, and I don't care who wins the spring game, but if I'm going to have any sort of idea of why the score is, I don't know, like 62 to, to 34 or something, I'm, I'm going to need to see how you got there. I, I at least need that because 
You're not going to be able to dig this up and, and find this out. You can't find that in a box score. A lot of these spring games, you can't get like official stats for. They just don't have those ready to go because yep. it's not really official. But I feel like I can come up with some sort of a some sort of a, a scoring system for that. Um, yeah, South Carolina spring game. I think you're just hoping for just good vibes. It's all, all about good 20 vibes. points would be fire, I feel. They did, what was it, like five, six... I think it was like 2018. I want to say it was 2018. They had Spurrier in the end zone, catching it, catching a pass. He, he had gloves on too. They threw a pass to him in the end zone. They're like, where's that ball going to? And then you see, you see the HBC just standing there, just mm-hmm. hauling it in. That's the type of stuff we need. Get Frank him. Beamer out there, catching a pass. There you uh, go. Put him out at like, like what, like the, like the quarterback route. So they used to get Drew Brees to run, just get Shade Beaver out there. And like, they're the defenders to tackle it. Yep. They're like for, for a while, you know, the, Everybody wanted to like copy the Nebraska thing with like getting the sick kid a touchdown all well and good in support of that. How about we just do this with legends of the game, like a Frank Beamer, like a Steve Spurrier. Let's just get all those guys out there. Let them have their, their moments running in a touchdown. I would love to see Frank Beamer run his 40 time and I totally wouldn't clock him. Yes, I would. This is fire. I, I now I want to dial into the South Carolina game and see what Beamer's <laughs> got to cook it up. Hope it's something. I'm sure he will he will definitely have something. Um, let's go to this one from Krista Kissinger. Krista says LSU is going to cancel their spring game and do some sort of a skills competition. Krista, I saw I, I thought this was bold and brash. All right. No, no, they <laughs> it, probably, yeah, probably they will. Probably they will. What what skills competition would you want to see? Because for me, it's easily the old Pro Bowl longest throw. That's all mm. I want to see. And I get it. There's the injury concern, whatever. Let's see if you can throw a football 75 yards, Garrett Nussmeyer. I no, we don't need that because he can. That's the problem. <laughs> if we that. did that, his deep – you saw that. This is a championship. His deep ball looks pretty. The last thing we need is that because people are going to be like, wait a minute. <laughs> is that – do you think there's something to be said for that, for Brian Kelly not wanting to get a Garrett Nussmeyer unbelievable showing in a spring game and, and wanting to have all these eyeballs on him and, and suddenly it's like, oh, Garrett Nussmeyer. Even though everybody saw him in the SEC championship. So I would hit against that Georgia defense. And I tend to think, and I won't rule anything out. This this would be a, a really bad SDS pod jinx if this happened. I tend to think if he was going to hit the portal, it, was gonna, it, it would have already happened. Oh, yeah, because Walker hit the portal. I think that they kind of did like a handshake deal that he's going to be the heir apparent. But, I mean, dude, I think <laughs> it's funny because it appears the haters were right. Like, LSU fans have been so toxic online about these two quarterbacks. And, of course, Nuss comes in there and just lights it up against that Georgia defense. And I talked about it at the time, but that might actually factor into it, where it's like if he has an insane spring game, the fan base is going to be mad at Jaden before Florida State even starts. Yeah. And then if, if he struggles against Florida State, then it's like a competition. And it's like, we don't need this. He's going to be our starter, just like he was last year. Just get him in the skills competition. I just, I just want to see how far he can sling it. That, that's all I need. That would, I, I would not, I would not hate on anybody defaulting to that, especially if we can't do these exhibition games. I think we need to do uh, for transfers only crawfish eating. Um, oh, I want okay. to see all these guys who are not from Louisiana eat crawfish in front of a crowd. I think that would be electric. How much do you think Joe Burrow ate on that visit? Oh, I mean, if you're eating crawfish with Coach O, buddy, you got to keep up. It's probably yeah. like drinking with Coach O. So, like, I'm sure if Coach O is putting away, you know, pounds and pounds, you got to at least match him, like, head for tail. You know, get about half of it. 
over under one and a half pounds of crawfish joe burrow ate on that oh yeah i feel like that's that's pretty easy work yeah and i mean coach you know he was sucking the head as they say he was shucking those across the the place that joe burrow was like this is my guy i mean yeah yeah mates hey made all the difference in the world michael dark says i'll get 10 we'll get the longest standing ovation of all time we support Uh, yeah, hey, you're says, gonna pull up just to just to uh, clap for Uga. <laughs> I might like, go Bulldogs. Generally, I might, t- I might take out my phone and take a video of me giving Uga ten, uh, ten the ovation. Like you did the Lord's work, sir. You did an unbelievable job. A million boops, boops for eternity for you, Uga ten. Love that. Uh, speaking of Georgia, Grant Haney says Beck, Vandegriff, and Stockton will all struggle in their reps at quarterback during the spring game as murmurs begin to resonate throughout Sanford Stadium of the dogs potentially going seven and four this year. Gonna have a game canceled. All right, that is bold and brash. Uh, hope is restored via Brock Bowers throwing, rushing, and receiving for a touchdown. While many teams would want to show their cards during the spring game, LSU, with a player like Bowers, I said that, not him, by the way. Uh, with a player like Bowers, DC will DCs will now spend even more sleepless nights trying to somehow stop number 19 in red and black. If you're a DC at this point, just assume Brock Bowers can throw a football. Assume that he can do everything. Assume that he's going to kick the extra point. Uh, why? Why would you tell yourself that he's not capable of that? If you get fooled by that at this point, that's on you. Okay, he can do everything. We don't need the spring game to see that. You don't. You, you don't. I mean, that that would be like a fun little thing. It'd be like a fun little, you know. Get Brock Bowers on the, uh, the add it to the Heisman campaign that hasn't even officially started yet. It'd be a fun thing to do. DC's better know. They better know. Oh, yes. I hope Brock Bowers gets a wide open touchdown pass this year because some defensive coordinator was like, oh, didn't realize the tight end could throw. Yeah, he can do everything. We've been yeah. telling you this. He's yeah, he's getting to like that Chuck Norris, like Bill Brasky thing where it's like, I saw him punt the ball 70 yards. I just want to say I was laughing because in response to that long response that Grant had, Emery responded, Jamie Newman puts on a jersey and leads the team. <laughs> he is comes he... back like the Undertaker. Is he still <laughs> Is he in the Mexico League? Is uh... he yeah, the Jamie Newman Jeremy Johnson Mexico championship is gonna go so crazy, bro? Man, the Jamie Newman sliding doors. That that's interesting. I still think this is a, this is gonna be this is gonna be a hot take. I still think Jamie Newman would have been really good in 2020. I do. Yeah. You can't you can't convince me otherwise. Like there were so many things that I liked about his game that I liked about their personnel that they had coming back with those receivers, the Munkin offense. I'm convinced Jamie Newman could have been good in 2020. It's such a bummer to think that he just decided, oh, I'm getting enough enough draft buzz. And I get it. Like you can say it's a COVID opt-out, but we we know like if if he wasn't on any NFL draft radar at the time, you know, is he is he is he saying something like that? Probably no. You're you're coming back to college if that's the case. But yeah, um, I'll forever wonder what if with Jamie Newman. Could they be going for four, a four Pete? <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, who's to say? Yeah, I uh, just to save you guys a second Google, just random quarterback. He is with the Hamilton Tiger Cats in the I CFL. Knew that. I knew that. Knew okay, that. I did. I looked that up like a couple of months ago, and I I, I just forgot. All right, shout out Jamie Newman. He's, he's getting, look, puts on his tax returns, professional football player. Yeah. That is cool. That is awesome. Do that forever, especially if you're yoked like Jamie Newman. Yeah. Guy's yoked out of his freaking mind, man. Some of those videos in that offseason, I was like, dude, get ready for this guy. He's <laughs> Did not happen. Okay. He's coming. 
<laughs> Jeff Smith says Ole Miss's defense is going to give up 50 points. If that happens and Pete Golding is just there left trying to figure everything out, <sighs> search those mentions and see how many Alabama fans are just saying, I told you so. I told you so. I told you so. Look, we probably, I, I feel like we didn't really dig into this a whole lot. The Chris Partridge is out, Pete Golding is in. We talked about it a little bit. We'll talk about yeah. it more. But former lad of the week, Chris Partridge. Yeah. Harp was Such coming up. In the grace. Yeah. I know. It's a shame you hate to see. He got to basically like go back to his, his old job at Michigan. He's doing just fine for himself. Yeah. Ole Miss got off to that promising defensive start last year. And then they let up 31 points a game against SEC teams, 35 points per game in the last six games. Spin zone for the spring game if this happens to Pete Golding. If Ole Miss's defense is letting up big points, that means the quarterbacks, all five of them, as you said, that means they're spinning it. They only got three, but you know what I'm saying. It's going to feel like five. Mm-hmm. I think all three of those guys are going to be on the roster opening day. I really do. I, If you're Jackson Dart, you're the returning starter. If you've seen some of his comments in spring, you're like, he clearly thinks he's still the guy. He's not threatened. At least he doesn't act like it publicly. We talked about the self-awareness that one would need to have if you're going to hit the portal post-spring, a right. la Joe Burrow 2018. You were never benched. You know, like it's not like he, he got some mid-game benching or anything like that. Even if you have this stunning realization of like Spencer Sanders is better than I am, and I feel like he's better, you're still probably telling yourself, but just give me the summer. Give me the summer. Right. I'll get in the best shape of my life. I'll be good. And even if you wanted to transfer, he's an undergrad. He's an undergrad. There's still the waiver wire process that you would have to sort through. Nebraska is talking about Eric Gilbert going through the waiver wire process. And Matt rule is like, yeah, we're confident that he's going to be cleared to play this year. I'm like, based on what based uh, with all due respect to, to Eric Gilbert. And like, look, I, I hope that I, I I've said it before. I'll say it again. I want to see the best version of Eric Gilbert. I, I truly do. If we got to see the best version of Eric Gilbert in 2023, and he got to go on and have the, the career that we thought was possible. That would be awesome. I, I would applaud it. It'd be great. I hope the guy figures his life out. But what are we basing that on? If What's the point of like any of those rules when it's not like you, you, you went through some sort of coach, massive coaching change or something like that? Like Even the thing with Jackson Dart, I'm just like, what, what would we? What would the assumption be that you could just be eligible immediately other than, well, it's just the NCAA has kind of given up by now. You know, you I, know what? I'll, I'll just, man, I'm stupid here. What is this waiver process? If you're an undergrad, you get to transfer once. Right. You transfer okay. once. If you don't, if you, if you want to transfer again, you're supposed to submit a waiver to the NCAA if you want to have immediate eligibility. It's not that you can't transfer. Oh, yeah. It's that okay. if you want to transfer and play immediately. So if Eric Gilbert's going to not sit out a year, what is he going to say? Like, oh, I sat out in 2021. Yeah. I, I mean, you did, but you had immediate eligibility there. <laughs> You played. No one, no one asked you to do that, buddy. You just did that. <laughs> yeah, like, look, and I'm. I don't know his. I don't know his academic standing based on what we've heard. And, and again, like, I, I hope the guy gets his life figured out. After three years, I don't think Eric Gilbert is sitting there like, oh yeah, I've, I've graduated. I'm moving on to my grad degree. Okay, I'd be surprised if, if that were the case. It's like if we're gonna hear because that's gonna be the new thing that's gonna start popping up, and there are gonna be certain cases that are handled and certain cases aren't. Get ready for that. Because mm-hmm. while the NCAA still pretends like it has some sort of relevancy, it is supposed to get these waiver processes moving. And now people are probably going to test them. Sorry, this is a rant that I didn't really think I was going to get into today, but I've been asked about it a couple of times. I don't know why. It just kind of 
doesn't really sit well. It's just like, why are, why are we doing this? Why are we just under the impression that, that you, there's just this free for all when there's supposed to be some sort of a process, but clearly, clearly there's not. And if Jackson Dart hits the portal and plays immediately elsewhere, which I don't think will happen again, it'd be like, what, what's, what's the point of having the rule at all? Yeah. I, and I, I did know that, but the way it was like, the way I heard it was like clears waivers. If he's like the NFL, it was like, hold on, do I get to like bid on him or something? I, but it, it's the old rule. So basically you just got a free transfer yeah. thrown in there, but this is like the rule that everybody was mad at with that kid who had like his you know dad had cancer or whatever. And like, Luke Ford like at, at it, well, there's the Luke Ford case at, at Illinois when he, when he left George. Yeah. He left Georgia for Illinois. Right. And it was right. like his, I think it was like his grandma had cancer too. Like there's, there, there yeah. have been a lot of cases like that. But they like, denied it. And like, that was the old process. Everybody said it was unfair, but you just have to go through that process now if you've already transferred once. That was your point. Um, yeah, exactly. But back to Ole Miss uh, quickly. It feels like these guys, <laughs> it, it feels like Lane has hired, he has very offensive dude mentality, which is like, he's hiring all the splashy names of defense. It's like Dirk and Partridge and now onto, um, oh, what's his name? Our boy, I just holding like Golding, yeah. Golding Dunn. It's like, it's so funny because like that's what you do with offensive guys, right? It's like, oh, get this guy in here, get Dan Mullen in there, he'll change everything. It's like, for defense, you kind of need a little bit of a, a little bit of like a stalwart type of dude who do- doesn't talk to people, isn't famous. And so I, it, it's very interesting to see that like, he might end up with kind of the same defense like three or four years in a row because he keeps hiring guys that are like, functionally cool offensive guys they just coach defense it's not a bad gig though because you know oh yeah you you got you got total control on that side of the ball the the Mm -hmm. issue is like Ole Miss is well-documented defensive struggles I mean I thought our guy Mike McIntyre did a pretty good job in his lone season in Oxford but other than that man it's been a a real struggle it just kind of hasn't mattered really like since I mean when was their last good defense 2015 was their last good defense I want to say the land sharks man yeah I mean Kim Dietschie um, but yeah, it, it's been a, a really rough go for, for most of the time. Maybe they're, maybe they're better than I remember in 2016, but, um, yeah, I, I will be interested in kind of the, the lane Pete Golding dynamic. I know Bobby Petrino, Jimbo Fisher, something that we talked about a lot in this podcast today will be the most popular head coach assistant dynamic, but that one I'm very much here for as well. Yep. Uh, let's go to this one from our guy, Emery. Emery says, uh, Georgia's running backs will have a combined total of less than 15 rushing attempts, too many injuries to risk it. Under the radar storyline, um, Georgia running backs, Kendall Milton's out for the spring. Edwards has been limited in the spring. Probably won't, won't, won't see him in the spring game. First time I think I have ever read the words UGA running back room lacking depth in a headline mm-hmm. on Dog Nation. Don't think I've seen that very often. I mean, they were doing spring drills with two healthy backs. You got Branson Robinson, who's yoked out of his freaking mind. Uh, they have Branson Robbins. Yeah. Go look. <laughs> well, Google this right now. Okay. Branson Robinson. Images. Oh, okay. That guy looks like young Nick Chubb. It's, it's like the Elijah Holyfield thing that was Photoshopped a few years ago. Mm-hmm. But like also kind of believable. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, like, do you remember that video of Nick Chubb running like track in high school where he was like twice as oh big God. as like this tiny kid? And he just ran right by him. It was like this the the favorite state champion. He like ran past him because he just didn't really do track. And it was like, yep, this is the kind of lad that Georgia just kind of ends up with. Yeah, I think they'll be fine if this guy's like somehow. Yeah. Uh if he if he yeah, and he showed some promise last year. But yeah, Georgia weird spot to be having issues at running back probably probably going to dip into the portal i would expect that mm-hmm. I, I think that's very very likely kenny mcintosh was so good last year too did a lot of things nasty. for him 
Yeah, that, guy was, it, awesome. that was that guy. He was like the Stetson of running backs. It was like, ah, this guy's he's not Nick Chubb. And then like he would just get that little pitch. <laughs> Nobody can tackle him. I don't know what's going on. They might miss that. That might be something that we that I talk about a little bit more. Like if Georgia goes through an offensive snag, kind of that you know, in the middle of the season, it's like what's the element that they're kind of missing? It's like ah, Kenny McIntosh in the passing game. That guy was. Really, really impactful. Great guy to be able to just dump it off to watch him make plays in, in space. Um, let's go to let's end with this one from Robbie Buffington. Robbie says UGA gets to dust off its black jerseys for the quarterbacks after being humiliated by Alabama and never wearing them again. They've worn them again. I mean, yeah. JT Daniels debut. That was uh yeah, yep. Mississippi State. Twenty yeah, 2020. Mississippi State. They had the black, but maybe it wasn't the all black. It's just the black jerseys, but they were definitely wearing black jerseys that day. Man, yeah, I love, I love like black and red as a con. I think it's the strongest color combo there is. I think purple and gold second, but black and red so fire because you can do so much with it. And I think like, see, that's a good example of what I was talking about earlier about Bama Pitts. Like, oh, remember when Bama beat them like twenty ten? It's like, yeah, they still got that. They're still talking about it. But yeah, they they've worn those jerseys since then. Yeah, Scott Cochran, um, you know. Made, made a name for himself. Yeah. The funeral jerseys. All right. Uh lad of the week. I've got I've got a couple a couple mentions here. Um shout out to my guy John Richards for pointing me in the direction of Brady Ware. Do you see this? Mm. Division two baseball player, University of Indianapolis, hit for the cycle and threw a no hitter in the same game. Yeah. Oh. Had a bat flip on his bomb. <laughs> What? Yeah, like little nice little bat flip on the bomb. You know, like not nothing crazy, but just you know, if if you if you hit a bomb that's part of a cycle and you get a bat flip with it, I feel like that that takes it up to a different level. He went in reverse order to get the cycle: home mm-hmm. run, then triple, then double, then single. The call from the announcer is electric. You kind of get the sense he knows he's about to be on ESPN. He's got to make the most of this opportunity. Um, also, uh, incredible that last thing. Last thing that he needed was a single in that game. I will say for nitpicking, and I watched the highlights multiple times, had to do the full breakdown. His double was really a single where it looked like the left fielder fell asleep getting the ball back to the infield, and he made an aggressive turnaround first base to be able to get to second. Kind of a fielder's difference. I realize we don't really associate with that, but um, pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. Better than anything I've done in my athletic career. And fun fact, that's like 10 minutes away from where my my in-laws used to live. So shout out University of Indy. Um, yeah, Brady Ware. I got one Ooh. other. Maybe, yeah, go for it. We might have the same one. We might have the same one here. Is it related to the Chicago Bulls? Yes, it is. Well, uh, mine. yes, it is. Yep. It's a last of the week. I was about to say, we have a last of the week. Let me, let me take it from there. So... Man, if you guys, this is so worth it. I know there's not a lot of overlap between the NBA and college football kind of universes, but just look up DeMar DeRozan's daughter, man. Um, that's who yours was, right? Yeah. Um, so she is just awesome. They had this solo cam on her. Apparently, she just goes crazy during opposing free throws. And, you know, it started off as kind of a lad of the week situation for DeMar DeRozan. I had, I had eyes on that because he was playing the Raptors in Toronto. Team playing game. Yeah. Created him. Yeah, playing game. He was lighting it up. But then very quickly, the story became how the Raptors, the other team, were missing. They missed 18 free throws. They, and a 50% lot of, from the line at home. Not yes. on the road, at home. 
Look at Connor. The Bulls fandom is coming back. I love it. It's time to believe. Um, and so basically, you know, they they showed DeMar DeRozan's daughter and her role in this whole thing. She had this custom jacket on that said like, it's you know, fire. It's so cool. It's his daddy's girl and like bedazzled. It's like so sick. But she's just losing her mind. But like strategically, like I don't know if you've ever been around a great free throw heckler. She had the timing. She had that Rodman like timing where it wasn't like, oh, the guy catches the ball and she starts screaming. It was like the guy starts, gets about halfway through his motion. And she just goes, is just making the most ridiculous noises, moving her hands up and down. And so, you know, it, it they, you know, barely, barely, barely lost this game. The Raptors, they went 50% at home from the free throw line. And I think she got under their skin. I'm going to be honest. As funny as it sounds, I, she was, you could clearly hear her. There was a yes. solo cam on her. She was like screaming. It was the cutest thing I've seen in months. It was absolutely a difference maker in that game. You cannot convince me otherwise. You, like you said, you can actually hear it on these free throws and they had to address it on, on like on the announcing crew. They, they had to point her out. They're like, if you're hearing that screen in the background, this is what's happening. This is what's going on right now for everybody that hates on the Vandy whistler, which, you know, say what you will about that whole situation. Man, there's something about a good heckle when it goes right. We only mm-hmm. talk about the ones that go wrong. The Spike Lee one is the one that goes wrong. When you're riling up Reggie Miller and then he just goes off on your team, yeah, we're going to hate on the heckler, and the heckler's really annoying. But when the heckler is right, man, that was that was incredible. It was so, that was so cool to see. I, I I can't believe that DeMar DeRozan's takeaway afterwards, immediately after the game, was like, yeah, she can't miss another day of school. We can't take her to Miami. Get that girl homeschooled. Get, get her to my get her, Yeah, you. there are bigger things at work here, okay? you got to figure it out. bigger than you, man. This is bigger than her, a day of her education. We we need to make sure that this happens. <laughs> this is real-life education, all right? That's worth a lot, millions of dollars, probably, if they make that. So, like, point being, yeah, man, I think, you know, there's so many elements that I love to this. Like I said, so cute. Love the custom thing. Love, like, the father-daughter relationship. Like, that's so cute to me. And then the other side of it is, you know, raising a generational hater just warms my heart. It's like, oh, yeah. this, kid, <laughs> it's like this kid is going to be such a hater because... Because she's so great at it. She's generational. And so it's like she's going to end up on, you know, first take or something one day with just the best takes you've ever seen. Because at such a young age, she so clearly understands how to get under people's skin that, you know, that might be something that Damar is very familiar with. He's decided to weaponize it against someone else. And good for him because she's great at it. Let's just take her to big events in, in, that happen in the world. Don't have to be basketball. Don't have to be sports. Just big events that happen where a scream would just kind of break the tension. Sometimes, sometimes a good old fashioned screaming. And I'm saying this as somebody that is able to watch from home and not sit directly in front of her and have to deal with that because sooner or later, man, that probably gets really annoying, but man, Halloween horror nights, bring her out for that. Come on. Sure. Blood curdling scream in the middle of the thing. Get it going. You know, here in Orlando, I see that commercial in like August. I would much rather be watching a commercial with DeMar DeRozan's daughter her screaming her face off that would at least put a smile on my face rather than seeing the same exact people act out a scream and her scream is more real all right great pod if you haven't please five star review subscribe follow us on twitter at the SES pod at sat south subscribe to our basketball newsletter you can do that at bluechipgrit.com join the facebook group and hear your name red on air and figuring out what bold and brash thanks guys talk soon